the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, empowering professional athletes and entertainers with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about finances and wealth. Visit morganstanley.com slash GSE. And boy, do we have some finances and wealth to get to today. So full disclosure, this is a two-piece podcast. The back end of this is going to be the financial look back of the decade of Major League Baseball uh, with Cousin Dan. It's great. We recorded it a few days ago. Uh, and meanwhile, of course, <laughs> Steven Strasburg breaks the the record for the total value contract of a starting pitcher ever. He has the highest average salary in the history of Major League Baseball, and he's back with the Washington Nationals. So you're going to hear a little bit about of uh, indecision with Strasburg in the piece with Dan. That was obviously recorded before this all went down this afternoon. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Strasburg before we get back to Dan. Uh, yeah, seven years, $245 million. Like I said, that's the highest average salary in the history of baseball. And it's a little anticlimactic because we all know what's coming, right? This is sort of step one in a two-part process, which is going to be Garrett Cole in a Dodgers uniform or an Angels uniform or a Yankees uniform, I would gather, based on the numbers we've seen out there publicly. Uh, the, St- the Strasburg thing came together really quickly. And I think uh, I think I mentioned it with Dan, and I mentioned it last, last week on the show. It's clear that the little tour that Strasburg took – to the East Coast and out to the West Coast was was either decorative or just a way for Scott Boris to sort of drive that Garrett Cole price up even higher um, and make sure that the Nationals had to pay top top dollar to get him back. So uh, it worked. It worked. I don't think any of us had $245 million on Steven Strasburg's offseason. Uh, he's got the injury history. He's been up and down. He certainly looks like a new, a new animal the last two years. So I'm going to give him credit. I'm going to give him the Nationals credit for getting this done. And if you've got you, you've heard me say this many times on this show, if you're going to pay right now in baseball, uh, you pick Strasburg over Rendon. You pick the pitcher over the batter right now. It's going to be hard to replace Rendon's defense and certainly his consistency at the plate. He's going to be, your, I mean, he's your your most five-tool hitter you've, you've got in that lineup, leaving, leaving the team essentially. I would imagine he's not long for the Dodgers or the, or the Rangers at this point. Um, and I'm sure that's going to come soon as the Strasburg uh, signing is going to be step one of what should be a really fun month and a half or so here. I think these things are going to come out a little quicker than they have, ha- they have in the past couple of years. This is a good sign, not only at the timing of it, but the numbers. I, I, I mentioned this with Moustakis last week. 16 a year for Mike Moustakis isn't going to uh, write any news columns. You know, It's not going to break any national stories. But from a guy myself who's looking at these numbers all the time and who's a baseball fan and a connoisseur who – you know, I I I, would, I just wanted some logic with these numbers, right? I, I didn't need to see the Albert Pools contracts happen every year, which were so reckless, especially with the position players. So it's nice to see things come back to normal. I think the last two years they've overcorrected and they've gone, they've been detrimental to some degree. Players just haven't gotten near what they deserved. This seems right. The start of Mustakas is 16 million a year seems about right for his age. He's going to shift to second base. You know, there's no second baseman really making any money anymore in the league so if you're looking at it positionally that was a good start now we're here now the starting pitcher which is the most important position in baseball and I don't think anybody's gonna argue that right now based on the, the playoffs we just had um this is a guy going back home not giving them a team-friendly deal as he said right away he wouldn't but good for the Nationals getting this done I, I, understanding that the one-two punch of Scherzer and Strasburg was the reason 
that their June, July, August, September, and October happened. So good for them. It's a big number. It's a record-setting deal. And it is just step one because I do think Anthony Rendon is going to eclipse Nolan Arenado, which is, you know, that's $260 million for a third baseman right there. I think that's coming. We saw Manny Machado secure $300 million last year. He's much younger, so you can understand that. Um, it's going to be somewhere in the middle, I think, for Anthony Rendon. Big, big numbers. $33 million a year around there is my guess. And for Garrett Cole, uh, I'm going to leave you with this. I, I do believe... I tweeted this out this afternoon. I, I'm, I believe it firmly. He has not had the injury history. He has not had the inconsistency. He has built on his career year by year, whether he's in Pittsburgh or whether he's in Houston, and certainly it took a step, a big step forward in Houston. Uh, but I, I would be I would be remiss to say that it, it, he is he is going to blow the two hundred forty five million dollars of Steven Strasburg out of the water. He has been between seventeen and eighteen percent better from a statistical standpoint, than Strasburg. That's just the player he is. This is Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen in football right now. Okay, there's two, there's two very different statistical breakdowns. That's just who these players are. Um, and, 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 oh, by the way, I mentioned the teams who are in on Cole. Those are the biggest markets in the league. When you've got the Los Angeles, Los Angeles, and New York as your three biggest suitors, and that's reportedly, but I think, I think we can all pretty much say that's happening right now. Um, that number is going to be high. My guess is, if I'm just going to look at the stats, like I said, 17 to 18% increase, that's $288 million. So we, we add a couple of, uh, of back and forth with the bidding wars between LA and New York, and this thing's going to approach $300 million. I, in my opinion, 290 is probably going to be the number. Now, you know, I'm throwing darts at the wall here, but everything I just said is factually true. He is, he is statistically better. He is, has been healthier. He has been more consistent. He did have a more dominant full year in 2019. All those things are true. So um, we'll see. <laughs> you know, 40 mil- a $40 million increase over the next highest contract is reckless. And I just mentioned how I, I didn't want to see reckless happen. The Yankees need a starting pitcher. The Angels need a pitcher. They have not had a pitcher in, de- in a decade. And it is time for Mike Trout to have a starting pitcher to go with him right now. Um, so there's just, there's just teams with need. And when there's need of this degree... In those markets, there will be reckless spending. And I do think we're going to see 290. That's the number. I don't know if it's going to be eight years. I don't know if it's going to be nine years. Uh, I don't think it'll be seven years because I do think, like I said, it, you're going to have to get over the $280 million threshold now based on everything I just, I just mentioned. That's what the agents are probably going to be sitting down saying at this point. So um, I think a seven-year deal for Cole is done. It's going to be eight or nine, and it's going to, it's going to approach $300 million. So stay tuned. It sounds like that's going to pick up steam now that Strasburg's deal is done. And, oh, by the way, we mentioned how Washington treats these things. They did defer about $80 million, it sounds like. So they, they deferred $70 million on his last contract, which was about $1.25 or $1.40. So about half they deferred on the last one. It's about a third on this one. So Strasburg did win a little bit there. He's getting two-thirds of this contract up front. Uh, it's all guaranteed, of course, but he, uh, there's no opt-outs. There's no options. It's a, it's a straight deal. It's seven years, $245 million. It's just for cash and, and payroll purposes, $80 million or so, that's going to be pushed down the line a little bit. So um, it's, a, it's a heck of a deal. And good for, for Washington and good for Steven Strasburg. He's going to have $360 million of career earnings after this is all said and done. So um, teach your kids the pitch, folks. All right, let's take a little break. The uh, Spot Trigger podcast is sponsored by The Athletic. 
the one of the just a great sports news site. I, I, I have been there multiple times all week long because the sports are everywhere right now. I mean, we are all over the spectrum. There's another Patriots cheating scandal being reported right now that is being turned down, turned up. ESPN is here. The Athletic is here. It's all over the place. Stick with it. All right, get yourself on The Athletic. It's 50 bucks a year, and you can get yourself nice deals. You go to theathletic.com slash spottrek 40 off S-P-O-T-R-A-C, 4-0-O-F-F. That's 40% off your first year at The Athletic. You get everything. You, not only do you get your local market and all the great writers in your local market, but you get all the national all the national beats. So when you're looking to see how the Jacksonville Jaguars gave Nick Foles that contract, and it's $50 million guaranteed in the next year, you know, there's going to be Jacksonville writers all over this, not just, uh, you know, your local guys. So it's it's worth your $50 a year. It's worth even less than that using the SpyTrack code. Get yourself over to theathletic.com. Uh, we're happy to be partnered with them. We are showing their articles on SpotTrack.com. So if you're at your favorite team's website on SpotTrack, viewing the financial information, you can easily click to the latest news at The Athletic and see what's going on there, too. So thanks to them. All right, let's bring in Cousin Dan. Welcome back to the show, Cousin Dan. Whenever Dan's here, it's baseball talk, which makes me happy even in the middle of December. Snowing outside. There's some there's some action <laughs> in Major League Baseball free agency, Dan. That's uh, We'll have to get back to that. Um, you know, starting to trickle in a little bit. The numbers seem to be a little better than the last couple of years, at least the first couple of contracts that came in. So we will have a sideshow, obviously, breaking down those deals as they come in. But today, Cousin Dan and I, we're going to talk the last decade of Major League Baseball spending, not just spending, the notable trades, some of those wonderful contract busts, some of the better contracts we saw over the last 10 years, some really interesting facts that resident research guy Scott Allen put together for us, the major behind-the-scenes player in all of this, really. We're going to go as deep as we can get here. We've got about an hour. Um, Dan, welcome to the show. I know you're a big Indians fan. We're going to talk Indians. We're going to talk Mets for the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, but we're going to start it off with the big boys. Let's start it off with the, the, the top spending teams of the past decade, if you had to guess, I know you've seen the data. I, I'm almost kicking myself. I should have held back some of this for some trivia. Um, if you had to guess, would you have guessed it was the Yankees? Because it is the Yankees. Definitely. You would have. <laughs> because of late, they've been somewhat thrifty, right? I mean, they've been somewhat calculated with their, you know, a lot of this is draft-based. They've sort of built from within. Uh, you know, a lot of what exists on the current roster right now is pretty dirt cheap. So you're, we're talking A-Rod years, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about $2.09 billion over the past decade. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, if I didn't guess the Yankees right off the bat, they would have been in the top five, I think. But that's a, that's a really, t that's mostly a testament to how kind of wild they went early in, in the decade with uh, some of the contracts they handed out. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they really weren't rewarded for it either, were they? I mean, they no. they they won to a certain degree, but I don't I don't think anybody would call the, this decade successful for the Yankees. I don't I don't think so either. Um, I, I mean, they obviously would have liked to have added a couple more World, World Series than they did, but um, yeah, I, I think anytime you're at the top of the league and spending, you're you have the expectations are sky high, and, and uh, I mean, they they have quite the run of making the playoffs here, but. Mm -hmm you know, when you don't bring it home and you're spending near 
the top or or the most in the league it's it's uh it's a disappointment it definitely is and i think it's safe to say from all the reports we're seeing and just kind of what you and i already know that 2020 is going to be a big spending year for the yankees i think they liked what they saw the past year and a half like i said a lot of it homegrown and now they know exactly what they need and much of that is pitching and pitching costs money and there are pitchers available who are going to need a lot of money and I think the Yankees are going to be at the top of many of those lists. So I expect, uh, you know, the next decade of Yankee spending to start off with a bang. Do you agree? Totally. Yeah, they, they've been kind of reserved here the last couple of years, handing out smaller, shorter-term contracts that um, almost like they've been setting up to make a big run at it. Now, maybe that was Bryce Harper last year. Maybe it wasn't. But um, – whatever that was, it didn't happen with, with the Yankees. So um, there, there's certainly some, some high end names out there that you would think that the Yankees are definitely going to be involved. Yeah. Agreed. How about this, this number two team, the second most spending in the last decade. Talk about a team that has not made the playoffs enough, right? One playoff series in this decade, Dan one 2014, which feels forever ago. And it was forever ago. The Los Angeles angels who, I mean, when you look at that roster and you look at those contracts, some of which are going to be on our contract bus, of course. I mean, how do you justify this? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's got to be fun and miserable to be an Angels fan, correct? I mean, what, what, the, the, the firepower you see in the lineup and then, you know, the, the pitching that they've put together by injury, by, you know, unfortunate passings, I, I mean – everything that could go wrong in that pitching staff over the past 10 years has gone wrong and is the single reason that this team can't succeed. And there's outside of them getting two of the, you know, top five free agent pitchers this year, that trend's going to continue, right? I would think so. Yeah. It's, it's pretty remarkable. They've, they've spent this much money over the decade and, and they really have nothing to show for. Yeah, it. I didn't even say it. It's over 2 billion. It, it's pretty much aligned with the Yankees in spending. Absolutely. And and now, I mean, you know, racking my brain over the last, you know, number of years here, <laughs> it seems like the angels are always involved in every player, you know, every big time player that comes on the table. Now, I mean, we've seen them give out ton, you know, a number of big contracts, but kind of the shocking thing to me is it really hasn't been for any pitching. It's almost um, like, I, it's I, almost like players are taking practice interviews with the angels before they actually go to the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, great point. <laughs> just got to warm myself up here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And 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 like I just said, name me the last pitcher that got a contract there. Was it Jared Weaver? I'm I'm not even sure. I can't really name anyone they paid. No, I think I think he was team controlled. Yeah, it's it's bad. Maybe, but you you have this pool hole steal that was probably given out beyond his prime years. Um, Upton. I'm sure Josh the Josh Hamilton deal is rolled up in here. Upton, yes. like you just said, there's a bunch of these guys that. Um, you know, they've, they've given a whole bunch of money to, and really, really have not nothing to show for. They, I mean, we talked about, they've the missed Yankees the boat, right? Dan? They, they've, they've oh, missed, I, they've missed the boat. They, they, they paid for home runs in a situation where you don't have to pay anything for home runs. <laughs> what, right, you, what I, you need is you pay, you pay pitching and you hope, you hope your second baseman hits 25 home runs. That's what you're hoping for. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very top heavy. And, and it seems like, um, this is like a classic case of, too much money burning, uh, you know, burning a hole in their pocket almost where they, they, they feel the need to be in on every player or, yes. or make these big splashes. But, um, 
in, in the construct of their team or what, whatever they're trying to build organizationally, it just, it's, it's never pieced. It just seems old school. It seems antiquated. It seems like somebody has got a video game and they're trying to build the best, you know, the, the sexiest team available, but you know, they're not paying attention to stats and analytics and things like that when they're doing it. It just, it's pretty easy to understand why this hasn't worked on an annual basis. You know, it just seems, it seems logical that this isn't going to work. Yeah, totally. And I'd, I'd probably have to take a deeper dive into how they got here, but this is another team that has a pretty bleak future besides the Mike Trouts of the world because they they really seemingly never have high-end prospects to, you know, to that are going to come That's up. That's interesting. You follow that a lot. You rarely hear about an Angel prospect, right? I mean, you follow that way more than I do. I mean, not really. Yeah, I, I the there's there I guarantee you there's people listening to this that are shouting certain names out right now that that were that were totally blowing it on but at Spotrek on Twitter hit me (laughs) was uh was Mike Trout really the last big homegrown um you know player yeah but what's he been yeah what's he been you know three and he was a later round pick if I'm not I mean he was a late first round yeah number 27 overall you're right that's that's not a slam dunk no way no not at all yeah so it, it, it it just seems like it's not going to get better there. Well, in, let's let's go there. Sense. Let's go the next 10 years because Mike Trout is signed through 2030. Mike, Mike Trout is signed through this entire next decade. Is he an angel for half of this decade? Oh, great question. Um, I, I'm going to say yes because it seems like he wants to be there. For whatever reason, he does seem like he wants to be there. So I'll I'll take yes on that. I'll agree with you, and this is why. This contract has zero opt-outs, Dan. Zero. Interesting. And, and a full no-trade clause. In other words, he ain't going anywhere unless he says exactly where he's going. You know what I mean? And he's earned that right. Of course he's earned that right. But even Bryce Harper and, and these other, and many of the pitching contracts have opt-outs. They, they want to be able to say at, at a certain point in time, I can get out of here right now and there's nothing you can do about it. Mike Trout didn't do that. On a 12-year deal, Mike Trout didn't do that. So you're right. It's going to be, I'm here, or things get so bad, or, or a situation looks so good, right? Like, for instance, Philadelphia or the Yankees, you know, that looks so appealing that he has to make the decision himself. But, yeah, I have to agree with you because – his, I look at his contract and it's all straight $35.45 million salaries for the next 12 years, which is crazy, but that's what it is. I mean, there's going to be a point in time where uh, is he already out, out, out pitched that contract in? Is he already worth more than $36 million a year? A lot of people did. I mean, you're the, you're the contract guy, but yeah. uh, a lot of people had thought he could get more if he would have tested, um, you know, the open market when he came available, but it, it, it seems like he took a little bit less per year um, um, to stay there and lock in a long-term deal. So yeah, um, I, I, I would definitely deal. think he's outplayed it. Right. Sure. Let's not go too far on the list, but I don't think, well, maybe it's a little surprising that the Red Sox are third. I mean, they, they've won, they've won all year, all, all decade. So just to be able to sustain the roster, they've had to pay. Um, and certainly they've done some free agent work as well to get there. But I, to me, it's a little surprising to me that, that they're third. The, the, the latter two teams, uh, one of which uh, many of you probably can't believe they're on this top five list. But <laughs> number four is the Giants, who for the beginning of this decade were the team. I mean, they were the, 
they were sort of the last hurrah of this. Get all the veterans you can get, sign them, get them in at one time, and this thing will 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 work because experience matters. That's they they were they seem to be the last team where that applied. And to sort of bring it back to the Angels, the Angels are still trying to apply that, right? The Angels are still trying to be the Giants of 2004 and uh, or 2003, I should say. So uh, that's dead and gone. And, and to that point, the Giants have fallen off a cliff ever since, ever since teams decided to get younger and cheaper. And the Giants just certainly didn't to the point of the Giants started to take even more of those experienced guys off the teams that wanted to get rid of them in the first place. Um, so there, to me, you know, their $1.6 billion was well spent because they did do their winning early on, but now they're in a hole. I mean, if you look at the payroll of the Giants, they are, they're probably not going to say they're tanking, but they're tanking. They have to get all the way down to start back up again. Um, speaking of a team that needs to do that, number five in this list in decade spending is the D- Detroit Tigers. I'm going to let you have all this one, Dan. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I... This is Honestly, your division, I, man. <laughs> see, I, I, the funny thing is, is I think some of that money was was very well spent, um, but but not to players seems, who still exist, right? Yeah. So there, so some of those more recent contracts may have been um, them trying to extend their window a little bit okay. um, and not really realizing when to get out from under it. But um, I mean, like the the early stuff, it. it I mean, it's hard to say it was worth it because they really don't have too much to show for it besides a couple of World Series appearances. But yes. um, yeah, it, it, I mean, the Miguel, we'll get to it later, but the Miguel Cabrera contract. No, let's extension. talk about it. Let's talk <laughs> about it. Um, look at they, they spend one point four seven billion dollars this decade. Miguel Cabrera is responsible for almost four hundred million of that. That's crazy. <laughs> that. that that is crazy. They extended him at age 33 for eight more years. For eight more years. In 2016, this wasn't 2010 or 11, right. when teams were still doing this sort of, you know, frequently. That everybody knew better at this point, and Detroit still did this. And it, it almost felt like a charitable move, right? Like, like yeah. Cabrera had a down year, and then he had a little bit of a bounce back, and it was like, ah, we still got to treat this guy like he's the Hall of Famer that he is. By giving him $250 million more in eight more years, it's, it, it will never be worth it. It's not, it wasn't worth it this, the first year, let alone seven more years. I, I can't believe that, I, that I'm looking at six more solid years of this contract still. I mean, half the next decade is going to have Miguel Cabrera making $30 million or plus. That's, that's a problem for Detroit, who doesn't want to spend money as it is. Yeah, and I, I, the fu- the funniest part of it is the timing. If I remember correctly, yes. he was going through a bunch of back spasm issues yes. at, at that point because I, I had a, I I remember I had loaded up on him in fantasy baseball, and and I took that contract as a sign that his back issues weren't very serious and that he would you know contribute to my fantasy team that none of you care about that year but um i I remember the timing being shocking like isn't he like aging and having injury you know kind of chronic injury issues at this point so that that was the most puzzling part it was almost this like yes loyalty contract i mean that's why you got to give the angels a little bit of a pass with Pujols because when they did sign him he at least was somewhat in his prime coming off a st louis contract right I mean, he was still right there. It, 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 it's terrible that his knee injuries and his foot injuries just sort of came about in a matter of months after that. And that's, that's been the biggest issue with him 
you know, over, over the last half a decade or so is just health. Um, but at least when they did make that contract, he was healthy. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I, Cabrera I was already showing signs of breaking down already. And he was a first right, baseman. It's not like he's out there, you know, you know, making plays in center field. This is a guy who was already not moving and he couldn't move it even more. Exactly. Yeah. I think, um, the, he, I think Pujols was closer to the player that they intended to sign, than, yeah. you know, than, than Cabrera was when the Tigers did it. So, um, that, that was a big mistake, which they're going to be paying for obviously for a number of years now still. Not so. to mention letting Max Scherzer walk, making Jordan Zimmerman a high paid, no, nobody, you know, it, there's a, there's a bit of a, uh, a roller coaster ride of contract and bad decisions that, uh, went with this Tigers decade. But one way or another, they managed to hash out almost a $1.5 billion in payroll. So good for oh, them. Yeah. Uh, good for the players who got paid. It had to be tough times playing there for, you know, the last, at least the last four or five years, it's been real tough to watch that team. A um, couple of teams not on this top five, just before we move on here. The Cubs are sixth. I would have thought they would have been higher. The Dodgers, how about this? Fifth lowest spending this decade. Uh, any explanation there? No, I actually, when you originally sent me this information, I, I, I sort of questioned whether your numbers were even right because that that totally caught my eye immediately that the Dodgers were not not even that they weren't at the top, not that they were, weren't at the top five. Yeah. But being in the bottom five, literally. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not, I'm still not sure. I believe those numbers. I I know they're accurate. I just, let me tell you why they exist, Dan. Let, Let me preface this. The Dodgers do sign players. They just don't fall in love with players. They are the kind of team that, that are, they're fluid. They're constantly fluid. They've taken players on. They've taken bad contracts on for one or two years, which, you know, it adds up here and there, but it's not going to put a major dent in their decades payroll. They find a player that, they've, that they like, they sign them, but they're willing to move on from that player three, four years into the contract. They are very active at, at trade deadlines and, and during the offseason of making sure that they're not stale in any, in any one position. And that's why you're hearing names like Anthony Rendon being thrown around this year, because Justin Turner is just fine at third base. He's a great defensive third baseman and he can still mash the ball, but you know, it might just be time. That's a, that's example number one right there of what the Dodgers have sort of lived and died by all decade long. And I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And, and from a fan's perspective, I bet we, I bet we both hate it. Right. If we, I bet if we sit back and we think about the Mets and the Indians, our teams, and it's just frustrating as heck to, on an annual basis to have to relearn the roster. You know, there's not one or two players you can start to root for every year because those, those days are gone. The Dodgers are exhibit A of teams that don't fall in love with their players. They're not here to please their fans. They're here to win. And being fluid is not only good for the roster, but it's good for their payroll. And it's kept the payroll low. It's tempered everything. Agreed. And, and I'd have to take a little deeper look at, uh, you know, the construct of their teams, but it, it does seem like, um, you know, they give out shorter term contracts too, which, which helps them stay fluid year to year and doesn't, you know, they, they're not locked into, in, yeah. into any one player. You well, know, let's, stuck, th- let's think about a position. the one player that could have changed a lot of this. I mean, they're at what, what's their $817 million of spending. They could have been over a billion if they kept Zach Rinky, they didn't. They let him walk. 
they let somebody else go and pay him because they knew they could get younger and cheaper there, and they did. And it's to their testament, the only pitcher they've really, really paid is Kershaw, and that's okay, right? I don't think anybody's here gawking at that. So if you think about the other pitchers, they, they had a qualifying offer on Hunjing Ryu. You know, Rich Hill doesn't cost more than a bag of peanuts. They, they really have done sort of well in the last, even just the five, last five years of, you know, having a couple of high-profile players and then everybody else is sort of, you know, at right at about value. So I, it, it surprised me, too. When this list came out, it, it certainly surprised me that, that that kind of team in that kind of market is that low in payroll spending. Uh, but they pick and choose their spots, much to what the Yankees have been doing over the past five years as well. So, like I said, they've had a couple of down years payroll-wise on their terms. I expect that to change this year. But I, I, I figured that would surprise both of us. I'm sure it surprises many of you out there as well. Um, take a look. Take a look at the 10 years of payroll spending from the Dodgers and, and kind of look at how those rosters were constructed because it's somewhat brilliant in how they kept kept the, the train moving and kept pieces coming in and out. It's kind of the way that I think all markets should work, not just the small markets. I mean, they're a gigantic market and they're acting like a small market at times. So brilliant stuff from them. All right. I want to move on to some of these high paid players, the, the just straight cash earnings over the last 10 years. Um, We've already mentioned him, Mickey Cabrera. <laughs> Mickey Cabrera is at 243, and he's got another 200 and change left on that extension. So, I mean, that's just mind-boggling money. Yes, he had a couple of batting titles and, and a triple crown, right? Am I forgetting that, triple crown? Yes, yep. So, he's a Hall of Famer. Wait, any steroids? Oh, definitely. Any There's steroids? No... I don't even want to speculate. <laughs> no, I, I, he's oh, never oh, been popped, right? No, not that I know. Okay, so he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, else of what we've already said, he he, ha- he was a great player for the, the beginning of this decade. I'm not even sure where the where the wheels fell off. Maybe you know more than I do, but it hasn't been a good five years. I know that much. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I root for guys like this who can you know hit the ball to the opposite field and aren't necessarily worried about mashing the ball out of the park. That you know that's the kind of player I think that is dying in this game right now. But uh, you know, we'll see. Hopefully he can make the best of these next six years of, of salary. I, I don't see it happening. I think maybe he plays for three more years and and this thing all falls apart and Detroit's got to buy him out essentially. But uh, he's getting paid no matter what. Yeah, the, re- the remainder of that contract might show up on uh, the, the following decade of uh, spending. <laughs> the next decade, if you will. <laughs> You're right. It might have to. Yeah. Um, yeah, number two is A-Rod. Similar situation, you know but with the steroids this time, um, $231 million earned in this decade, one world series to show for it in 2009. I, it's, I don't have too much to say about A-Rod. He was fun to watch. Um, uh, you know, he made, he certainly made his money. He made 400 million plus in his baseball career. He lost, you know, a hundred million or so from, from the suspensions, from the steroids. He's probably making another hundred million in, in TV right now when you put his contract all together. Uh, he's just fine. So let's just leave it at that and move on to some more of these relevant players. Number three, super relevant, in my opinion, uh, third highest earning player in the last decade, Justin Verlander. Speaking of Detroit, what do you think? How's he doing what he's doing, Dan? Huh. Oh, this shouldn't I be happening, not- right? No, no, he he seemed like he had def- hit a definite plateau in Detroit. Um, Do you think it was just Detroit? Is this like the Ryan Tannehill situation 
where he's really, really good, but he was a dolphin. <laughs> um, I mean, it, let, let me put it this way from a, from an energy standpoint, right. From, from a mental standpoint, Justin Verlander in Detroit had to be running pretty dry, right? It's had to be, had to be getting old to be that bad for that long. Yeah. You, he, you don't think so? You think it's more personal? What's that in Detroit? Yeah. You think he, I, you're right. He was falling off a cliff and now he's the best pitcher in the, in the American league. I know there was some injury. There was one year specifically. He was, he spent most of the year on the, on the DL or IL now. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. That's changed three that, times this decade too, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he started, he started declining there a little bit. And then, he, you know, the, tr- the trade to Houston. I mean, if you remember at the time, yeah. Detroit was almost saddled with that deal. They, yeah. they traded him to Houston for almost nothing because his career was in decline and still, what was it? Two and a half years, I think, two or and three a half. years at the time you got that, it. that he, he, they still, they didn't want to pay him. The, the, the Tigers were rebuilding. It, w- it was a smart deal for them to move on from him. The only thing is that they essentially gave him up for nothing, mostly because of what I just said, his career was in decline plus combined. Yeah with a ton of money owed. So then he goes to Houston and I, I mean, I don't want, there's rumors or whatever, but yeah. they, they, they know something about developing pitchers or, or tapping into to potential that, you know, other teams are, are not squeezing out of these players. So whatever reason that is, I mean, he is still not now one of the best. He remains one of the best pitchers in the league. Now, how his career plateaued at the end in Detroit and now has transformed back into, you know, one of the prime prime arms out there that I'm not really sure on that, but um, yeah, it's not surprising. He's, he's a, he's a, on this top 10 list. No, not to me either. He's, I mean, $180 million contract back in 2013 tacked on another 66 million more last year. And, uh, and Houston, he's going to make, that 66 million this year and next year. And then I would imagine that's it. 38 years old, you know, you've, <laughs> you're going to be well over the uh, $300 million mark at that point. You're, you're, you're good. Right. I mean, you're good. You I walk w- away at that point. Right. I would think the only, I mean, maybe he does some one year deal type stuff to, to serve. I, who knows where his career will be at that point. You know, if he's still a lead or just another role, role type arm, but sure. um, yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. Okay. Yeah. Anyone else on this list stand out? I think everybody would imagine pool holes would be there. Uh, I mentioned Grinky before. Sabathia is interesting, but it's really just longevity, right? I mean, these last 10 years have been his, his prime years. So of course he's going to be paid handsomely for that. And similar, similar with King Felix in Seattle, right? About the same, I mean, very similar careers, truly. Absolutely. I think both of them totally earned, um, earn earn their money they they were great in every stop i mean you know we we have this recent recent idea of felix hernandez you know and he was nowhere near what he was when he broke into the league but still that was a dynamite career sabathia the same same thing i don't think anyone would would feel that they they didn't make out on those contracts really the only guy here that um, sticks out to me is Joe Maurer coming in at no, uh, number nine at sure. about one 197 mil. I just, I just don't think you're going to see a deal like that for a catcher anymore. Um, it, it, it's yeah. That one in the Posey one really broke the bank, didn't it? 
Yeah, and, and they they paid for it. I mean, Posey is still a, a solid player, but he's he's not worth what he's making. And and Joe Maurer, they 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 couldn't wait, you know, to get out from under that. He he was paid as an elite catcher, and they almost immediately had to shift him over to first and play more DH, you know, just because of his age. So and the difference just, there is that the, the the Giants were at least serious contenders, right? I mean, Posey was essentially the best player on a World Series contender. Joe Maurer really never had that. I mean, they had some they had some decent years, but I don't think that the the con- contract fit the mold of what that team was at the time. You know what I mean? Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd have to look at the timing, but I, I think a lot of that deal, him getting paid that deal had to do with his uh, MVP, which was 2009, I think, 2009. So, ah, I'm not so sure he Joe Flacco did, huh? He cashed in yeah, right so after the big the big hit. Yeah, I was going to say so. And, and then his career kind of, you know, leveled off there from a from. Are, are you surprised he's not a coach yet? I haven't thought about Joe Maurer. He, he should definitely be a coach, right? It might be in his uh, in his future. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. All right, we'll see. Next decade. Um, yeah, that's that's it on the list. I, I think um, yeah. I think everybody on there is pretty cut and you know, dry. Names. Yeah, we, let's switch we've gears. Discussed. We've been too nice. Let's switch gears. Let's find some contract busts because oh, there were some. <laughs> uh, let's start. Let's use some recency bias here and start with Chris Davis because uh, I just feel bad for the guy at this point. Uh, there's nothing they, anybody can do. There's just nothing anybody can do. I'm going to let you talk a little bit because I think we both had a fun conversation about a minute and a half after this contract was signed. It was just, uh, you just knew where this was going. I mean, this was 2016. We really hadn't even hit the home run boom yet, right? I mean, that was end of 17 into 18. But, you know, January of 2016, Chris Davis gets $161 million because he hits home runs. And he does. He literally does nothing else. I mean, there's, there's no other way to talk about this. He averages like 12 doubles a year. He's not. He's just not that guy. He's not. I mean, he's he's averaging one one a 175 batting average over the last two years, and it and it has not hit two on average in the last four years. He has not averaged 200 in the last four years. I don't know what you do with that. Yeah, probably one of the worst most crippling contract signed this decade i would think um in baseball it, history I, it's i don't even think it's hyperbole there, right? it can't be hyperbole no it, it no, can't be no and, and i mean there's more contextually that that how that team was how that team was built it, it it was one dimensional, just a bunch of power guys. No one who could hit them, you know, for right. Trumbo, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. It was all those kind of guys. So, um, yeah, he. I mean, you say he signed that deal before the home run boom. That is true, but he was absolutely mashing home runs before he signed that deal. But yes. he, he was who he was exactly who he is now. He just had a couple good years. I mean, he 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 hit over 280 once and besides that he, he's like a he's like a career 225 or 230 hitter and leading the league in strikeouts i mean he hits a bunch of home runs but this is this is the perfect pre-analytics contract in my opinion <laughs> that a team just saw this player who i'm i, I I'm not from Baltimore, never been to an Orioles game, but I assume their fan base loved this guy hitting 50 home runs. So maybe they felt some sort of need to sign him. But um, Oh, and by the way, 
we're leaving out the fact that he got popped 25 games in 2014 for PEDs two years before this deal. Before the deal. Right. So right. That was the, they already knew that, was that the, most of this was artificial. <laughs> yeah, that was the sandwich year where he hit 196. And then the following year, right. he goes two, back to 262 with 47 home runs. But, right. I mean, like, you, 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 the writing was on the wall for, for who you have here. I mean, the early part of his career, he, he, he strictly only hit home runs. Yes. That was, that was what he did. He comes to Baltimore. He becomes more of an everyday player and hits more home runs, mm-hmm. but he still is exactly who he was. So um, yeah, not too much to add there. That was just a terrible contract. Um, and, and I don't think you'll see anything. I think because like many, many of the guys on our list. Player. Yeah. Many of the guys on this list, injuries were a factor, right? In, ter- in terms of these contract busts. We're going to talk Ellsbury, right? Uh, Cespedes, Tulowitzki, uh, Prince Fielder. Injuries. I mean, that's the reason that those players busted out. We, we, we really don't know otherwise, you know, how it would have gone. Chris Davis, <laughs> because, without any injury, and there's been some minor ones, but without injury, he's the biggest contract bust of the decade. Do you agree? Yes. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave it at that. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> and... And, and Baltimore is operating as if they have no idea what to do. That's the worst part. I mean, they, they made a terrible trade sending Machado out of town. They haven't replenished much of anything. And they're still, to me, they're still, they're still breaking it down. They're not even finished breaking it down. They just traded Jonathan Villar. I, I, this is going to be like a four-year rebuild just to get back yeah. to normalcy. And it's going and to align is, with Chris Davis's contract. I was going to say a lot of it is just solely because of that one contract. I mean, uh, Jonathan Villar, a four-war player, they just they just non-tender. See you later. They ended up and, getting a nobody for him. Oh, they did trade him. They okay. did. I, I didn't, I yeah. didn't see the follow-through on that. So, But Chris Davis, I mean, imagine those fans. You see a, a, a nice, solid 28-year-old player sent packing, and you yes. still have Chris Davis there rotting on your bench. So, Good thing the Ravens um, yeah. are good, huh? Yeah, right. I, I don't I don't I don't know what the future is in Baltimore, but it is not. It's Lamar Jackson. That's, That's what sure. the future is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, the baseball future. A <laughs> yeah. uh, couple more names. We haven't mentioned Prince Fielder. I don't want to talk too much about that. I mean, he's he got paid a ton of money, but quite frankly, insurance paid a lot of it because he's enabled unable to play sports. So uh, those are the kind of things that go to insurance arbitrators. And I'm sure the uh, the Rangers got off on a lot of that. So. Um, I don't I don't want to project there either but I mean he he probably would have he probably would have fulfilled that contract too had he stayed healthy I mean he had the, the chronic back issues or yeah whatever. um but that's yeah a, I, that's wishy-washy there were tons of signs that he was going to break down though true true I, I'm just saying I guess he, he was a great player there uh for a little bit but yeah you're you're right yeah similarly speaking the, you know the Mets with Cespedes he comes in on a deadline trade that sends him to the world series. So it's hard to argue with them re-signing him. Um, they gave him too much. Well, thankfully it's not a 10 year deal, right? The, you know, they were at the point of time where they were smart enough not to go super long term on the guy, but um, they still got two years in that deal. And I know I just read that they're, they're now fighting this in, uh, in arbitration at this point. So they're going to try to get out of it. It sounds like good luck there. And it sounds like the Yankees are also trying to fight the last year and a half of Jacoby Ellsbury's contract. Uh, again, good luck there. I, I just don't see it. I mean, it's not like these aren't, these aren't injuries. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that about Cespedes because technically his injury 
at least reportedly did happen off the baseball diamond. So maybe the Mets do have some standing there. But with Ellsbury, what are you going to do? You know, you got an outfielder who who lives and breathes off of defense and stealing bags and, and doubles and triples, and he's got a foot injury, right? I mean, what do you, what more do you want? The, the guy's not going to hit 40 home runs for you and, and, and DH. So it, it, it just took away the livelihood of his game. It's one of the worst contracts in Yankees history because of it. But it is injury. It's because of the injury. It's not because he couldn't perform at his level, right? I'll agree somewhat there. I, 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 bad he, signing altogether, you think? Well, I don't want to say that he he's a bad player or anything. I don't want to infer that. I just think they gave him a whole bunch of money for a player that um, was was not exactly a five-tool player, if you will. More of a, of a <laughs> speed, average, steals kind of guy. Let me which, put it this way. They should have learned with Johnny Damon, right? Is that the point you're trying to make? Yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> he's a, these, these speed rely on stolen bases kind of guys. They just don't age well is my point. So, um, you know, he had a great, a great start to his career in Boston and, you know, he becomes a free agent and a little bit, a little bit of that almost seemed like it was the Yankees just trying to pull one over on the Red Sox. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it was necessarily the worst contract ever by any means, but, um, mm. I, it, I think it was, Yeah. Seven I, for one fifty three. It's up there, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Anyone else here? Ring a bell. Um, I mean, we talk M- Mickey Cabrera for sure. The, the extension of Mickey Cabrera, and, and you can you can tie in the Ryan Brown extension too. It was way too early. He was again in, in, in trouble with st- the steroid situation. Um, yeah, he he's having some decent years right now. I mean, he's he's producing. So I'm not going to put him at the level of Mickey Cabrera because uh, I think Cabrera is having a lot more injury trouble than than Braun right now. But it's just it's a it's a classic case of feeling like you have to rush into things and extending players well before you have to do anything at that you know at the point of when they got their deals. Yeah, I um, really the only other name on this list. I, I think Jason Hayward was a yeah. was a, a a contract you won't really see too much. Um, going forward he he never really put it together in atlanta former top prospect um you know went to st louis for a year there and then um he was just the best simply the best outfielder on the market and the cubs had a whole bunch of money and a huge need at a corner outfield spot so um that was kind of the perfect storm of a of a of a bad contract if you will in my opinion there the the hayward one but um Beyond that, I, I I think a lot of this list is uh, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny, Dan? How in both Hayward and Ellsbury, the bad contract came from the rival, right? Hayward left yeah, the right. Cardinals to go to the Cubs. Ellsbury left the Red Sox to go to the Yankees. Uh, probably just a coincidence, but is there anything to that? You think? Do, do you think there the rivalry exists when it gets down to this, the, the nuts and bolts? Is it or just because you're seeing that player more? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Um, I, I don't think these teams intentionally go out there and sign it thinking, you know, they're, you know, they're going to beat their, their, yeah, pull their rivals over, like to that player. Right. Yeah. But um, I, I think it, I, I think it does serve some value though. Like not only is that player, not only is that team 
losing a, a valuable player sure. to them, but now he is literally walking across to their rival. So I, I think there is a, a little bit to that. Um, I mean, no one's spending hundreds of millions of dollars just to say, ha ha, I got you, uh, you know, rival team. But <laughs> well, that was baseball <laughs> eight, eight years ago. That was baseball, Dan. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, but, what you're saying is to some degree, it could be addition by subtraction, right? So even if this guy's terrible, at least he's not a Cardinal, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, right. <laughs> you, you mentioned that, the Hayward contract might not ever happen again. A lot of people, myself included, put Jason Hayward's contract as the straw that broke the camel's back. It, it is the reason that teams have tempered, have, got, have gotten smarter, have started to say flat out no, and have started to value these players, especially position players, at well below where, where they used to be getting paid. I mean, luxury taxes and everything else is going up. It's not, you know, it's not like the league's losing money. It's just flat out teams have said, I mean, Jason Hayward got paid for defense, Dan. He's an out, outstanding right fielder. He always was. He could hit the ball out every now and then. Uh, I think he's probably a, a, a pretty good locker room dude. You know, intangible stuff is where I'm going here. And then defense. And he got paid for that. He got paid to shore up the, the Cubs defense, which to some degree matters. I mean, that, 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 that's a big part of it, especially late in the season, but not to the tune of $184 million. Um, and when that contract hit, I think you had owners collectively look at each other and say, what the hell are we doing? Right. Like what, where, how have we gotten to the point where that guy has to get that contract in free agency? And, and I do think it, it had a major impact that still to this day exists where you, you're just not seeing, you know, the, even the upper middle class. Right. Even your Moustakas who just signed yesterday. Um, they're not getting near what these contracts were. Jason Hayward got $23 million a year five years ago as a defensive yeah. outfielder. Mike Moustakis yesterday got $16 million a year for four years. That's just, that's where we are now. That's, that's the life we live right now. Yeah, it, it truly is mind blowing. He got that deal. I mean, I, I personally like Jason Hayward and think he has a ton of value on sure. a team, but not for that. Intangibles. Yeah. Yeah. That's, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, the defense, the, um, you know, he is a good solid all around player, you know, giving you 10 to 15 home runs at a corner outfield spot anymore is, is not the best, but I, I mean, he does have value. It's just it, not even close to what he's getting paid for. That's for sure. <laughs> he is winning for sure. Uh, I'm not going to yep. call it a bust because I do think he's a nice player. I agree with you. I'm uh, sorry. It's a bust. I'm not going to call it the biggest bust of the decade because I do think he's a nice player. I just think he, uh, he qualified for, you know, we're still in stupid contract mode and you're not going to say no to that. I mean, no matter what team it is, go to the Padres for that money. Um, all right, let's move on. A couple of nice deals quick. Let's go through these quickly. Cause you know, nobody likes nice. Uh, let's start with your team. I mean, <laughs> look at you're in a small market. So you're not throwing out the big dollars, right? You're not, you're not doing what the Yankees can do. Uh, but the Indians have been ridiculously relevant. And it's because, for some odd reason, <laughs> two or three players on that roster just decided to take the biggest team-friendly deal ever, starting with their ace, Corey Kluber. Uh, we, we can argue which one of these deals is the best deal and has been the best deal over the past decade. I think many of us would, would point to Christian Yelich because that deal still exists for <laughs> a couple more years, and it was traded, by the way, which is just a whole nother story. Um, I got to put the combination of Corey Kluber and Jose Ramirez's deals at, because of their longevity more than anything as the best one-two punch contractually in baseball. 
I mean, you've essentially got an MVP candidate and a Cy Young candidate at a third of what their value truly is. And you've got it for, you've had it for five, six years running. Kluber has one more. I think Jose's got two. Is it two or three? Um, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is, it's been a long time. And, and not only was it three, four years of dirt cheap money, but there were club options included. So the, so the Indians have had the control over these players, which is just bonkers. So not only do these t- players take less money, they lost the control of the contract, which, you know, I've argued with you about how it's just a miserable, it, that's miserable for baseball as a whole. You don't want this. You, you want these players to be paid at least what they're worth. You know, you know, it doesn't have to be stupid money. And you want the players to have the control. That's just the way it has to be right now, especially since salaries are dropping. So I have to give the nod to the Indians here because what, whatever they did to make this work, getting their ace and their MVP candidate locked in like this, it's been, it's been great for their payroll and it's been great for their, obviously their on field performance, right? Yeah. I <laughs> feel free. To, I, I feel free to clap back at me there. Yeah. I'm, I'm blushing over here. No, um, really the two, it, first of all, the Indians have an incredible front office. I'm not just, I'm not saying that because and they I'm a have fan to either. They have to be right. creative. And I was going to say they operate of to bring it back to the point I was trying to make. They they have to be to time these contracts correctly in terms of signing them, but when they're a small market team the way they are. Mm-hmm. So they're they're not like we've seen it with Lindor where they tried to, a couple of years ago, they offered him a big deal, but he's going to bet on himself thinking he can go get that $300 million contract. Now they might've waited a hair too long on Lindor making that deal where making that offer, whereas Kluber and Ramirez, they had, they had seen enough to know that they're somebody that they are willing to bet on. Um, but they, they want to get out in front of it and sign that player, you know, at the time, at the time, like those, those deals probably looked a little shocking though like why are you giving this unproven player you're right uh, like a sizable deal you're right, right? they and, timed but, it perfect yeah and they did it with kipnis they did it with a. they've done it with a number of players and, and that that's the overall point i'm trying to make is that um you know being a small market team like that it sort of forces your hand sometimes but it it when it pays off it, it really pays off huge and and it's the sole reason they've been contenders for the last few years is is I mean, really because of the Kluber deal, but, um, you know, the Ramirez deal as well in the last couple of years. Yeah. And and I guess, I guess it's notable to say that we shouldn't be super shocked about that because I think it's all come full circle because Jason Hayward broke baseball and free agents aren't getting, you know, top, top dollar anymore. The young kids, the Acuna's, the, you know, maybe the Soto's, maybe the Alonzo's they're, they're taking deals in, at 20 years old, at 22 years old, they're taking eight for 107 for 50 and whatever they can get. I mean, your, your Scott Kingery's of the world are signing multi-year, you know, seven, eight year deals at premium prices because they're terrified that there's not going to be a big second one coming and you get your millions when you can get it. Um, and, and I guess that's how the small markets have always operated, right? That's how the Indians always think, you know, if this guy shows anything, the, the first year and a half he's in the league, let's get him locked in, right? Because you're right. When it gets to Lindor's time and he's a global superstar and, you know, he's got Scott Boris or whoever, whoever his agent is, we're dead. You know, the Indians can't, can't deal with that. They can't handle that because the numbers, will, the starting numbers will be above anything they can even dream of, of paying. So 
it just seems like the rest of the league now might be following this model because players are willing to take those contracts at 20 and 22 years old because of the fact that free agency is so bad right now. So I wonder if that's going to be the new norm, which might play into small markets' hands. Right? If everybody's doing it, then who's going to say no? Which, who, which player is going to say no, right? Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, these, bi- these big markets are sitting there with all this money waiting for top-end players to, to be free agents. Sure. But if you never – if they you don't really let them become a free agent in their prime by locking them up and taking arbitration and free agency years off the table, then, then yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it plays into small market teams. But, um, you know, it's it's on them to time – to you know, to hit that sweet spot, though, where they've seen enough that they know they want to commit to a player, but it's not so – you know, so far that that player thinks, okay, now I've put together two or three really solid years. Like I'm set up for a big payday down the road. So I I guess what you're right. What has to happen is we need to see the Aaron judges of the world do it. If Aaron judge signs early, right? If he signs now, for instance, then we'll know that it's really come to that point. Then we'll know that people really are terrified of free agency and it's about locking in as soon as possible for whatever price you can compromise to, and, and we'll know that the owners have won, right? Because if the big market teams are getting those players to do it, then everybody's going to be doing that, right? If Aaron Judge signs right now with three years before free agency, when, you know, when 10 years ago that would have been $350 million, I don't know what that is now, um, then we'll know. And, and you're right. That's where, where teams like the Indians and, and, the, and the Rays – and the Marlins can at least get back in the game a little bit and say, look it, we've got a ton of young talent. Let's get them signed because everybody else is doing it and it should be no problem competing and staying competitive. Um, but, you know, that was the Mar- that's the Marlins now. The Marlins from two years ago decided we got to start over completely and traded an MVP candidate on what I, what I deemed to, ha- to be the best deal in all of baseball then and now in Christian Yelich. It's still the best deal in baseball, in my opinion. It's... This guy was five tool the second he walked into the league and he got a deal that, you know, made him look like he's a reserve player. So it's an incredible deal. It's incredible that that Miami felt they needed to trade it. Um, It just that's the level of of the rebuild they were at at the time. I think they they have to regret it. Even if he demanded to be traded, you don't trade him. So I uh, that deal will be as far as this decade goes, it will be the king for me. Especially, especially because, like I said, Miami just decided they were done. Being done with John Carl Stanton and his big, gigantic contract is a lot different than being done with Christian Yelich and his contract. So, uh, I'm sure you agree with me on that. I don't think we need to spend too much time on Yelich. Anyone else on this list kind of kind of tickle you? Altuve's second deal was similar to Jose Ramirez's, right? Um. Yeah. Yeah. No. No one. Um no one surprises me. Honestly, I really, I, I like for the team and the player when they sign these type of deals, um, sort of those bridge it, deals. Yeah. It, it's good for the team. Mm-hmm. If that contract works out, it's good for the player that that player gets money. I mean, some players put together, let's say, you know, Scott Kingery last year signed that deal before the play before, you know, before the, the season, season or yeah. right before the season. Right. So Scott Kingery, that could have went two ways. He could have come in and he could have blown the doors off of it. And he could have been saying, crap, I shouldn't have signed that deal. I could have, you know, I could have waited a few more years, made a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Now let's say his career falls off a table. He gets injured. He's never the same player. Well, he just locked in a whole bunch of money. Yes. And from a, from the team's perspective, 
are they paying him more than they would have if he was just an entry level player or an arbitration player? Sure. But it's, it's very low risk in the scheme of things. It's not $300 million. It's 50 or $60 million. So I, I think from the player side, from the team side, it works out. And from an organization, the organization's standpoint, you know, it gives them fluidity. And if they hit on that contract that they sign, then it hits big. And, and if they they're, don't they're hit, not, it's not teams aren't spending those hundred million dollars in free agents anymore. So they've got money to work with. So signing a young kid to a little bit more than he probably is worth is low risk, way high reward, right? I mean, if Kingery is anybody, the Phillies are going to win big here. Huge, right? Exactly. And that's Jose Ramirez was, I mean, exactly. I followed him exactly. Up through, he, he was, he was just a, he was a international signing. No one thought any, only you and his mom, you only you and his mom knew about him, Dan, at that point. Exactly. So he comes in and he, even the year that he broke with the team, I was like, who is this guy? He's just another shortstop second base <laughs> prospect. And then but he, you drafted him in your just, fantasy league, by the way. <laughs> well, but he, um, yeah. So perfect example there where that player, you know, he makes, he wa- essentially walks into millions of dollars to start his career yes. and, and he, yeah, he exceeds that contract. But you think, you think Jose Ramirez is upset that he has millions of dollars in his pocket right now? No. And the Indians are, you know, over the moon that they have that contract. So exactly. I think, I would like to see things go this way more often. More well, we often saw it again. Not. Seattle did it with Evan White, their uh, prospect first baseman. He's yet to hit the field. He got a seven-year contract, seven-year, twenty-four million. That could be fifty million with incentives. So, I, uh, yeah, it's going that way. These, these, there's three or four examples in the past three years, and like if I, you know, if Kingery, I guess the worst thing that can happen is Kingery is great, right? If Kingery ends up being great this year then players are going to have pause, right? Well, right, right. But that that's an, e- in my opinion, that's an ego thing where a player just thinks, well, I'm going to be the best ever, you know, I'm going to get the biggest contract. So, well, it's an like, agent ego thing. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. I shouldn't put it on the player like that, but um, yeah, who, who knows? I mean, I think a great, you know, not to get sidetracked too much, but two great players to look at this with is Aaron judge last year yes. or two years ago and Pete Alonzo Peter. this year. Exactly. So, I mean, judge could have gotten a huge contract probably, or let's say somebody offered him $150 million sure. after he has that monster rookie year. Now he might've held out and said, well, I think I can get three or three fifty in a few years, but let's, let's also hypothetically project that his risk affects him the rest of his career and maybe he never gets to a point where he pays off that money you know maybe pete alonzo never has another 50 home run season again i know you're hoping he hits a you know has 10 straight but um you know i i it's it's very difficult to time that and i think the players are better off you know if there's money on the table take it yes sometimes it won't work out in the end but I, i think it's so rare i mean one percent of one percent is getting these massive deals so why not take money you know when it's offered there's another element to this too dan right and it's because 10 years ago it was about who's well known right being popular it was a popularity contrast for a lot of these guys i mean if you were if you were one of the faces of baseball you were going to get paid that's just how it worked and everybody's a face now everybody has instagram and you know everybody's everywhere there's you know, it's it's a regionalized sport to, to say, but everybody knows who Mookie Betts is. Everybody knows who Frankie Lindor is if you follow any kind of baseball at all. So I, to me, it's not about what's good for my brand. What's good for your brand is your team winning. 
And Pete Alonso damn near put the Mets in the playoffs. Aaron Judge is in a is in a window with the Yankees right now where they're contenders every single year. And that's not gonna last. It's just not gonna last. It's not, it's not, it's not normal to think that's gonna be you know the entire decade long. His capability to cash in, in on a winning team should be the most important thing to him. And he can do that right now. Aaron Judge can can get a contract right now for a, a winning Yankees team, for a contender. And to me, that's got to be a big part of it. It should be a big part of it for many of these players. I think it's why Ronald Acuna signed, because it's not just that they threw, the, the Braves threw $100 million at him, Dan. It's that here's $100 million, and we're going to be pretty damn good for the next three years. So you're going to have a lot of fun making $100 million. I think the same is going to happen with Juan Soto, you know, if it's $125 million now. Look, you just won the World Series, and you were a big part of it. You know, here's $100 million. Stick around for a little bit. To me, the winning side of it should be a big part of that. And the Indians had that. That was something the Indians could sell to Kluber and, and Ramirez. That Look, it, we've got six guys in the, in the pipeline right now that I think if they all come together at the same time, it's going to be gangbusters. And it was. So to me, that's big. A big part of it is where is the team? Where is, where is their contending window in terms of these young guys signing? Because the kids want to win. You know, the kids have probably won their whole life. Scott Kingery probably won every level of baseball possible leading up to this. And then somebody says, here's, you know, tens of millions of dollars to play for the Phillies. And, and we think we're going to be pretty good because we're getting Jake Arrieta and we're getting, you know, all the damage they've done. And obviously Hyper, Harper a, a year later. Um, it, to me, you, you can sell it by saying we're going to be pretty darn good. And here's, 10, here's $20 million too. So uh, to me, it's a big part of it that, that, it's why teams like the Padres struggle so much, right? It's why their contracts are still bloated, right? For players like Will Myers and all those guys out there, the Hamilton contract. It's just, it's bad. When you don't have the winning formula, when you don't have a contention window to go with it, your sales pitch ain't that good. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, you, you essentially have to overpay or jack, jack up the, the average. Which is the exact or, wrong thing to do. Yes. or It almost never works. Which, right no we had we it it never it yeah it almost never works yeah yeah very rare all right let's uh let's finish strong here let's finish strong a couple of draft gems i i think the major league baseball draft is it's one of the biggest unknowns because there's 97 rounds it happens in the middle of the year middle of the summer when we're all in a pool with a beer um it's sort of you just sort of don't realize where these guys have been drafted. I mean, I, I didn't realize Mike Trout was number twenty-seven or all overall until seven minutes ago. So, and he's the biggest player in baseball. So it's funny when you see some of these guys and where they're drafted. Look at I, I, every couple of times. It's probably twice a year. I'll go through the active rosters on ba- on Major League Baseball and just sort of see how many first-round picks you have. And are you surprised that it's a lot? It's a lot. It, it, the, generally speaking, teams are built out of first-round picks. Now it's becoming more international players, obviously, so that's taking away from some of it. But players that were drafted, for the most part, it's first-rounders. Is that exactly what you would think? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so either. It, it surprises me how many there are, but there really are that many. It, the, it seems as though the first round is a home run. And then from there, it's, it's a complete crapshoot. The, the round by round from there is really up and down to the point of where you've got ninth and 10th rounders that do very, very well. And, and the reason that, I, I've actually done a podcast on this alone. The reason that is, is teams will not draft college players <laughs> in those first few rounds because their bonuses 
they can basically say your bonus is going to be way, way less. It's just a really sort of, it's a bad loophole in the system. Um, I'll bring, I can tweet out the old podcast where I broke down all the numbers on how this works, but there's a, there's a, some politics to the draft, the MLB draft that factor in where guys are selected and so forth. And it's just a known thing. It's sort of like, you know, you, uh, you hit home run and you, and you show boat down first base. The next guy's getting hit in the head. That's sort of that kind of thing. The unwritten rules. Um, but look, at, let's, let's kind of stay on track here. Look at this list of draft gems I have. Who's going to stand out the most for you? I don't think many people know who Kevin Kiermaier is. You and I certainly do from a fantasy perspective. Uh, and he is pound for pound. He's the, he's the best value draft pick of the last decade. Does, is that the name you want to talk about? Um, it, I mean, we, we can touch on him. Yeah. He, a lot of that is like long, I think longevity. He's been in the league for the 10 years and you know, he's been a pr- consistent yeah. producer for those 10 years. So um, anytime a 31st is, pick though, makes it though. A 31st round pick. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, those guys, great. those guys don't even get the triple a generally. No, it's a, it's a great, great pick there. Great value. Yeah. Um, DeGrom in the ninth. Does that surprise you? Uh, yeah, I did not know he was that late. I knew he was a later round pick, but um, I thought it was a little bit earlier than that. DeGrom, so. DeGrom with the college. So he's one of those scenarios. Um, and a lot of these pitchers you're seeing, it's it's a catch-22, and I don't want to get too far into it because uh, you know, we're going long here. But a lot of these guys that are co- were college pitchers and are taken late in later rounds, um, yes, they're prop- they've got more experience, and they probably have better quick, better early careers. But those are also the guys who are injury prone because they've got a lot more mileage on them. So it's a catch twenty two. Do you do you get yourself in a better spot to get to the majors quickly by going to college and going through that process, or do you do what a lot of guys are are opting to do, which is basically get out of high school, go to academy, limit yourself completely, and you know, essentially try to you know push your way into a draft from the outside, from the academy perspective. And, you know, hope, hope you can get to the major leagues in time to make some bucks before you're too old. DeGrom sort of hit that fine line. He's like 31 now. He didn't hit the majors till like 20 years old because of college and then AAA. And then it just took a long process to get there. You run the risk when you try to go the old traditional route of high school, college, draft, minors, majors. I think that's probably going away is my point. Don't you think? Um, yeah. Because I... of the injuries. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, going to college definitely you you limit your options once you get into your draft years. Um, and teams, you know, they've seen say say what you will, but the unknown is always more tempting. So you know, teams see these young seventeen, eighteen year old raw out of yeah. high school, and you know they they think that they can develop the tools that that player has. Whereas like some of these college guys, they come out and you know they're further along. There's less you know, there's left meat on the bone for these teams to develop. So, Oh, and by the way, um, I, that discussion we just had about how the young kids are starting to get paid anyway, as more, if that happens more and more, you know, you're not going to see kids going to college. You're going to see kids saying, get me into your system. You developed me for a year and a half, and then I want my $50 million, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that might be a, a whole full circle situation. So I, I, I wonder how that works because there's, some, there's a lot of data now on the, on the injury proneness, the mileage, how much how – much, how much innings pitch before the major leagues is too much and all that stuff. That's bigger math nerds than me out there putting that stuff together, but it exists. It's there and it's going to be a real thing for this next, next decade for sure. Uh, let's uh, do some rapid fire here and finish this thing off. Any, uh, anything stand out this past decade that you want to mention? I, I know we could have an entire discussion about 
you know, attendance and TV ratings and pace of play and all that. And obviously, you know, it's a problem, but I just think baseball is becoming a niche, right? It's not the pastime um, it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd agree with that. It's definitely in for a certain crowd of people, if you will. Um, yeah. It, it not it, it doesn't appeal to everyone, especially with um, you know how how TV has has taken over baseball. You know it, the the viewing experience is so good, is what I'm trying to say. That, of course. Um, you know attendance is definitely down. And, and hey, Dan, is gambling going to help? As these state as more and more states legalize gambling, is it going to help I, baseball? I feel like baseball will be the least affected. Of, I was thinking of that any, too, because there's just yeah, so it, much of it, right? Yeah, and it's a, it really is a tough sport. I get why people who don't love baseball don't love baseball. It is, I mean, even me in the dead of summer when I, you know, we have you got three kids, I have stuff going on. It, it's hard to sit down and catch a full baseball game or keep your attention glued on yeah. only that, it, it, you know, and fall in love with baseball. So I get why people, you know, haven't latched onto it. But um, yeah, I, I I totally agree there. A couple more quick stats that. Uh... Research and development, man, Scott Allen put together for us. That, that one I love. A decade of complete games. Did you see this list? Yeah, pretty crazy. 20, yeah. 2010, 2011, the average was about 170 complete games. It was the, the last two years, 18 and 19, the average was 43. Is it coming back ever? Never. Never because of the injuries? Yeah, teams are just, I mean, we're in What a if I throw this at you, now. though? This was maybe the worst bullpen year in the history of baseball. You don't think that teams were, are going to start to value the starting pitching a little bit more? I mean, um, truly, it was the worst bullpen year in the history of baseball. Yeah, I have. I just have a hard time thinking you're going to teams are going to go back, especially where we've got. I understand bad bullpen year, but especially where analytics have said third time through the order, get a pitcher out of there. Yes. In most cases, I, I just don't see it reverting back to that. If anything, I, I think it could go. Go keep going down a little bit, but it, it might. You, hit you think? Because it did come I back up this year, right? Yeah, it, it it may have definitely hit its floor and might rebound a little. I just don't think it's gonna, you know, it's gonna increase too too drastically from here. Okay. Is uh, should all this talk about free agency? I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, free agents are not getting paid what they, you know, many of what they're really worth from a production standpoint. The should we be worried that the youth movement is going to destroy the middle class of baseball it's a big problem in football it's a big problem in football you know what i mean by that yeah um i think we've already started to see it yeah. excuse me i think we've already seen it a little bit with with these like aging you know one or two dimensional type players um there there's just no money there for them. And if they are, it's getting low balled and, and many times they're not even getting what they, what they deserve. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Where are we with steroids? Let's finish on this. Where are we with steroids? I know we're, com- it's all speculation, but I think it's worth talking about. It was a big part of the decade, not as big as the nineties, but it was a big part of the decade. Are we on the right track? Or are we? Are, are there still plenty of suspicions out there? Oh, I, I mean, people are still using it. People obviously, sure. people are still. And I think the we've talked about this, and this we we can maybe elaborate on this at a different time. But it people do it because it pays off, right? We've yes. seen players put it all together for one or two years, 
and and now in hindsight we see that they were aided by peds but we, we've seen them get paid based on those contracts now that money never goes away it doesn't they get go popped, away it, they sign a deal they get popped two days later the money is the money so um there it's not like football where there's all these guarantees and the guarantee is different from the actual money they're making and um yeah so i i i i think it's not it's never going to go away i assume baseball has a better handle on it, it sure seems like they do but um i don't know i i, I don't know i don't know what do you think <sighs> I, I hate to speculate because it's such an ugly situation um but i have i have to say it this way if i'm a player on the baltimore orioles <laughs> okay and I'm coming up to free agency, right? I've, had, I've put in my, my team-controlled time. And I know, I know for a fact that the Baltimore Orioles aren't postseason bound next year, which is the big – that's the big slap on the wrist, right? Certainly you get suspended. You lose, you know, the dollars per day missed, which, for, you know, for players that don't make much, it, it adds up. But if you can get suspended for 25 games, but then for the other, other 150, you are above average, right? Especially you, for what you've posted before, you are above average on your way to the free agency and missing the playoffs doesn't mean a thing to you because your team's not going there anyway. I don't understand why somebody wouldn't do it. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I, to me, it, there is not a policy in place that is strong enough to stop me from doing it. If I know that all it takes is for me to make, to play 150 games as best as I can, however that has to happen. And if it, you know, if drugs have to help, I, I, I'm, I'm scared that it's, it's still justifiable to do it. Right. I, I absolutely agree. If I can turn I, I mean, this year into $20 million and all I have to do is pop these pills, you know, three times a week, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Cause 25 right. days suspension doesn't mean a freaking thing to me. Right. And, and think of it from like, you know, these people, these, these young kids who have nothing in the Dominican Republic and some guy says like, Hey, this will, this will, this will help out. And so here, so here's my, I I want to wrap up on this thing. Here's my proposal. Here's my, my final proposal. Okay. You get popped your contract voids, which is going to be a problem with the MLB with major league baseball players association. But this is what has to happen. You get popped, and it's real popped. It can go to court and all that if it has to. Because I know there's a lot of gray area, right, with some of these pregnancy drugs and all. I, I understand that. But I'm talking pop popped, and a court finds you guilty of it. You can only make the league minimum salary for the rest of your career. That's it. Interesting. That's it. So you want to make money? You better be good because you're only making $500,000 from us you better be good enough to get sponsorships and commercials, okay? Because <laughs> that's how you're making money in baseball. But to me, that is where we have to go. It's got to be that drastic. Because the, the scenario that I just laid out, if I'm the Baltimore Orioles player, it's completely logical, <laughs> right? I think you and I would do it. If you tell me all i got to do is bat 290, hit 30 doubles, and hit 40, 40 home runs, and I can get there by taking these pills because I know my swing is good enough, I just got to be a little faster and a little stronger, I'm doing it for $20 million. I'm doing it. And that's got to stop. That narrative has to go away. And that narrative exists right now. So that's why I do think there's plenty of it going on. I think, there's, I, I think you know, you juice the baseballs to mask it, right? <laughs> Give us this baseball so that people are talking about the baseballs and not talking about the guys hitting them, 
right? That's, that's got to be a part of this. How do we change the steroid narrative? We juice the balls. That's part of this. That is definitely part of this, this last decade. This happened. It happened. So, I, it's got, so to me, that's the biggest change that has to happen in the next decade. You can love your home runs. You can hate your home runs. You can get sick of them. They have got to do a better job with this, this, this drug suspension uh, policy. It's got to be stronger. It's got to be more logical to not do it. Yeah, kind of two-pronged approach. It needs to have some financial ramifications, and the length of time definitely needs to be longer. I mean, it, it, in, into the point where you're talking about, like, whether a player can even come back and have a professional career, you know, if that's a season, if that's two years, if that's three years, however long, you know, the, the MLB wants to decide. But it, it should be a legit question when you get popped for steroids, whether you will you will be able to sustain a career, you know, in X amount of time. And if not, the money the money has to void, just like you said. It has, <laughs> I just it think, has to be fine, tied to finance. Look, you and I both live in New York. We, we love going to Cooperstown. We love the Hall of Fame. I, I think it is comical <laughs> that 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 baseball thought that taking away the Hall of Fame was going to be so you know so unappealing to the players like oh we can't do drugs now we can, we're not going to the Hall of Fame what are we talking about here nobody cares it's about the money it's about getting the big contract that's the only thing that matters to these guys right that, they're not doing this for for the back of the baseball card stats or to get in the Hall of Fame they don't care about that they don't care about the bust. They, they care about what do I have to do to get $50 million? And this is what you do, and this is what they've been doing. So, yeah, it's got to change. It's got to be way stricter. I hope that comes in the next – before robotic umpires, I hope this comes. Right? <laughs> My goodness. Give me a pitch clock. I'm okay with the pitch clock. No robotic umpires in 2021. What do you think? And on that, do you agree or no? I'll, I'll, Wait, I'll are you with you me on this? Oh, um, I – This is I a bad value in it, Robots. But, yeah. It's gonna be it's it's gonna be tough. You think it's coming? Um, I do think it's coming. Not next year. At some point, oh I I do think it's coming. But yeah, I think it's ridiculous. I, I I do think it's ridiculous, and it will have. I mean, I I don't know if you've seen some of the videos out there of the delayed call reactions that yes. play, but it, it's it's pretty brutal. So I I can only imagine my rage getting increased as a fan when <laughs> when that kind of thing happens. So <laughs> yeah, we can end it there. All right, this is good stuff, Dan. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Uh, happy baseball offseason. It's getting better. It's starting to heat up a little bit. The hot stove is uh, is simmering a little bit now. We're getting there. And we'll be back soon. We'll do a, a free agent recap with Dan as soon as a couple more signings come in and, and uh, onward and upward from there. This is Series 2 of this little decade financial review. We'll be back soon with the NBA and the NFL, the big boys. Lots of money to talk about there. So we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening.